Podcast, the official podcast of Plymouth Argyle Football Club with Charlie Price. Yes, this is the Argyle Podcast. I am Charlie Price. Hope you're all well. Thanks a lot once again for joining us for this week's episode. Um, now, it's a, a huge game, obviously, on the pitch for Argyle on Saturday coming up. Uh, a trip to Elland Road, first trip to Leeds for some time for the Pilgrims. And we thought we would whet your appetite for that with uh, a guest that has a foot in both camps. Now, there aren't a whole host of players that have played for both. So we thought slightly outside the box and have gone for a Leeds United legend who is an Argyle fan. I've got a couple of clues for you. He played 23 times for his country played in a very famous FA Cup final in the early 1990s, got to a Champions League semi-final and was on the field when David Beckham curled in that free kick against Greece in 2001 at Old Trafford to take England to the World Cup. Have you got it? Let's find out. You're listening to the Argyle Podcast, the official podcast of Plymouth Argyle Football Club. Welcome to the Argyle Podcast, Nigel Martin. Thank you so much for being with us this after uh, this morning. How are, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Um, it's it's um, I'm I'm quite happy about this one because we normally have obviously a, a former Argyle player or a current Argyle player or someone that has a huge involvement with the club. Now, obviously, you never played for us, but you came close, <laughs> I was hearing. Yes. Um, just uh, just thinking back, yeah, I was playing non-league football for my brother's works team that were called Heavy Transport, and that was in the Dutchy League um, going back probably... I think it would have been about the 83-84 season, something like that. And um, I got invited up for a trial to to Plymouth. And um, as any sort of young lad in that area knows, that's that's the big break or the big chance. Um, and came up on trial. The, the weather was horrendous, so the training ground wasn't fit for use. So we were taken to a sports hall for a training session. The sports hall floor was rock hard, so they didn't want any diving or anything like that. So... There wasn't really much of a chance to impress, you know, we were doing sort of just basic catching drills and things like that, which, you know, is not really going to tell you much about uh, anybody. Um, I was then supposed to play a Southeast Counties game at, at uh, Home Park against uh, Newport, um, but that one got rained off for a waterlogged pitch. And after that, I was never contacted again. So it was a bit disappointed because, you know, I was... I was an Argyle fan. I used to go and watch um, in the early 80s, um, you know, and go get the train up from St. Austell and, and go and watch everything. So that would have been a you know, a chance to play for your, for your sort of local side. So I was I was a bit disappointed with that, but that's just what happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, who knows what would have happened post then. But um, yeah, for, for someone local, as you say, goalkeeper training or like trial, in a sports hall when you can't dive. I mean, you must have been absolutely devastated thinking, how am I supposed to show anything off here? I was. I mean, my brother took a day off work to drive me up. Um, my mum came with me or came with us in the car for sort of moral support. And I just remember going there and, and, and it, like everything was changing. Originally, we were meant to meet at the training ground, but obviously it was, can you just get to this sports hall? So sort of um we did that and I it, it was a bit disappointing but you know I, I understand you know back then the training grounds would have been um you know boggy to say the least and um you know they they can't ruin them for the you know for the rest of the season if if it's unusable so you know I understand the situation but um I think it was just it was just the not the follow-up call afterwards was probably mm. the, the thing that's a bit disappointed I guess 
yeah, having not been able to show anything of yourself really other than, like you say, chucking and catching a ball. <laughs> yeah, throwing it up, you know, taking the ball at the highest point, um, throwing it between, I think there were three or four of us there um, and, and a coach. And I mean, I, there wasn't even sort of half volleys or volleys and things like that. It was mm. all pretty much thrown. Um, I guess it was probably a health and safety issue even back then. <laughs> How different it may have been. Nigel, if you'd worn the, well, I say the green of Argyle, but you know, played at played at home. Did you ever play at home park ever? No, actually? do you know it's no. one of my it's one of my biggest regrets in football. Actually, never got to never got to play there. Um, the the closest I got was when I was at Everton, so right at the back of my career. Um, Everton were drawn away to Plymouth in the the League Cup. I'll say I don't know what the format it was. Probably uh, then and. Literally the game or the weekend before I'd done my calf at Charlton um, in the Premier League game. And um, even though um, David Moyes, who was the manager, said, you know, he would have played Richard Wright in that game anyway. You know, he wouldn't have played necessarily his, his strongest starting eleven in that game. Um, I think I would have still have travelled and got on the bench and still have got on the pitch. But um other than being a fan escorted across the pitch when Plymouth played Portsmouth a few years ago. Um, and uh, I started off watching the game in the Linda stand and finished watching it in completely the opposite stand um, because of uh, there was a little bit of fan trouble back those in those days. Um, but that's the only time I ever got on the pitch. Devastating. Well, yes. well there'll be, there's bound to be a charity game or something quite soon, I imagine. Hopefully, we can maybe try hopefully. and prize you back in. Yeah, that game, Argyle-Everton, it was the FA Cup, actually, I think, oh, 2005. Think so. yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, and, um, yeah, we lost 3-1, but there you go. Argyle has scored! Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode. This is the Argyle Podcast. Right, what we do in these podcasts, Nigel, is just dive deeply into careers, and yours is yep. some career. I've written down a few stats, which no doubt you will have, you'll have, you'll know all of these. But I'm going to do it anyway. Um, okay. One of only five Cornish people to play football for England. One of three Cornish men. Do you actually know the others? <laughs> a test straight off the bat. <sighs> Mike Trebilcock, I think. I, well, I, he never. I don't or think he ever he played not? for England. But oh, yes, okay. he he would have been one. Um, no, because he didn't. <laughs> oh crumbs! No, I, I guess no. it's going back. It is going back a very long way. You've got to go back to the twenties and uh, early sixties for Jack Cock and Ray Bowden for two. Oh, okay, two I've, I've heard of Ray Bowden. That's a name I have heard before, but I wouldn't have yeah. necessarily associated. But exalted. I put you on the spot straight away, but anyway, there you go. Um, there aren't many. Is is the upshot of that? Obviously, FA Cup runner-up, um, Premier League Golden Glove Team of the Year, um, England international, as we as we just mentioned, Champions League semi-finalist. Um, some career, Nigel. Eh? Yeah, I mean, from a lad growing up in Cornwall, which, as you've alluded to, is not really a hotbed for um, for professional football. Um, I think there certainly have been numerous players over the years that could have easily have played in uh, in the leagues, um, be it you know Division One, Two, Championship, or even the Premier League, who were probably overlooked and never really got the chance. Um, it was always a bit too distant, um, and I guess now you really have to stand out to you know to get yourself a trial. But hopefully that will happen more and more from you know the southwest. Um, part of the country because obviously the talent's got to be there you know the numbers mm. you know say that you know within a certain amount of, of, of people living in a certain area there should be a certain amount of players and and there just doesn't seem to be that sort of amount of players from the southwest for some reason yeah it, it I, I suppose you would you'd look at it and say especially Cornwall it's um it's rugby and cricket really and I know you play cricket and we'll talk about that but that's Football seems to take a slightly back seat, I suppose, in in yeah. that area compared to those two, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I mean, rugby is um, is probably the, the the first choice, especially you know in recent years. You know, Cornwall have gone to Twickenham a couple of times. You know, they've won there, and and you know they get close. You know, sort of 
most years at the moment. So yes, I think rugby is is the is the probably the number one sport. Cricket is is obviously right behind it, um, and and football does tend to just be. I guess geographically, you never get that chance to to play in leagues other than you know a Western league or something like that, where you're predominantly playing against you know teams from Devon. You know, it, it doesn't go beyond that. So the competition, I don't think, gets strong enough to promote you know better players. Mm. Take us back to your childhood then and your your upbringing. And you've already mentioned, you know, you're playing for your brother's works team. But what was what was early life like for you? Was what, I've mentioned cricket, but you kind of came to football a little bit later, potentially. Yeah. Um, well, growing up, um, I lived in a little village called Bethel and we lived right opposite um, a playing park which had all the swings and slides and roundabouts and things like that but it also had a two uh, two football posts so we, we you know we had a football pitch as well so you know growing up the amount of hours that we spent you know in that park um, playing football um, and I, 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 I was kind of forced to play outfield at school so I had to play uh, midfield or right wing or centre forward um, through all my school years and sort of my boys football. I was never allowed to play in goal because I guess you didn't really get so much, you know, to do. And I was probably more use out on the pitch. Um, mm. So spent, you know, hours and hours and hours playing um, on that on the park and things like that. Um, but at school, I got in the Cornwall schools for cricket and for rugby, but didn't make it for football um, as an outfielder, which, uh, you know, which happens. And then, um, like I say, I left school um, even before I was 16. Um, I was just before I turned 16, left school. And um, I'd, I was um, playing cricket for St. Austell at the time, um, but that was the only thing I was involved with. And yeah, it was my brother's work site was short one weekend and he came home from work and he just said you know um they're short do you want to play i've told them you're quite decent over the park um and they're that desperate that they'll take anybody um so uh you know it was a, i think it was a rush to get a pair of boots and a, and a pair of gloves i think mum and dad probably helped me out with buying those so yeah so that i that, that's kind of i've heard that story before from when i was when i was doing a bit of digging on on you and the, the you know, you were rushed into play. Um, how did you do in that game? I can't, I can't remember. I think I did. I think I did okay. I think we might have even won the game. Um, that is, that is a bit of a test. Um, yeah, I think. I think. <laughs> I, I think. I don't have the answer for that, fortunately. I know. Yeah. No. I. I don't even know who we were playing in that very first game. I mean, you know, I should, but my memory's not not that good going back quite that far. But it was. It would have been an eighty-two, eighty-three season. So, if anyone wants to look up Dutchy League, but then the the, the season had already started, I think. So, um, you know, it was. I was sort of. It was probably. It was probably around this time of year, sort of October, November, when I first started playing. So the season had already started, um, mm. and then I then I played that and thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, it was what ended up stopping me going to watch Argyle because that's what I used to do on Saturdays before that. Um, and then, um, yeah, just I played two seasons there at, um, at Heavy Transport. We won the Junior Cup in the second year. The Cornwall Junior Cup, which is like the the big uh, the big cup final that you can win um, in the second year, and then I went to play for Bugle, which was my dad's. Uh, that's where he's from. Um, mm. So I went to play for them for a year, and then um, then St Blasey. Uh, I moved to St Blasey the following year, um, and um, had one season at St Blasey before I got um, a trial at Bristol Rovers. Yes, and um, I want to touch on that moment as well um, and ask you who Vi Harris is. Okay, Vi Harris uh, was the um, tea lady at Bristol Rovers and Vi Harris knew uh, Mr Rowlands who uh, owned the carpet shop in St Blasey and Gordon used to go along and watch the uh, watch St Blasey play 
um, on a Saturday. And he, unbeknown to me, had got in contact with um, Vi. And Vi had gone into, it, he probably took a cup of tea into Jerry, uh, Jerry Francis, the, the then Bristol Rovers manager, and sort of said, oh, I've had this, um, you know, guy that I know ring me and say that this is a really good goalkeeper that you're playing down in Cornwall that we might be interested. And I think Jerry's reaction was, okay, get him up. Um, you know, Bristol Rovers at the time had basically no money. Um, so, you know, he was desperate to be able to get players for free. Um, and I was invited up for a trial, um, which lasted Thursday, Friday, and half a game at Saturday. So I actually went and stayed with Vi and uh, and her partner, and stayed stayed in their in their flat for those two days. Trained uh, very hard on the Thursday, very hard on the Friday. Played half a game against. Um, ooh, who did we play? Gillingham. Gillingham on the Saturday at Forest Green Rovers um, ground. Um, played half that game and was had my my parents, uh, my wife's parents, um, my brother, or like a lot of the family come up um, in a couple of cars. We we were then leaving because we we hadn't heard anything after the game, and it was about an hour after the game. So we were sort of thinking, right, we've got a long journey home. So we were just going, and then. Jerry comes running out the um, at the clubhouse and says, Nigel, where are you going? And I'm like, well, you know, long drive back to Cornwall. And he just said, what are you earning currently? And I I, I was quick on my feet and said, you know, included my overtime and, <laughs> said I was earning, yeah. and told him I was earning 95 quid a week. So he said, right, we'll give you 10 quid a week more. Do you want to sign and, and have a year playing football? Which, you know, was obviously something I jumped at straight away. Hmm. It is it is a mad story, and I suppose the best thing about that is that they managed to um, give you a trial not in a not in a, a sports hall, which is which is good to be able to yes. show show what you can do. But if you think about whether, um, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'd, I'd imagine if a like a someone who works at the club, tea lady, or someone in the shop, or um, whatever, just said, oh, I've had a phone call to say that there's quite a good player playing in Cornwall. You should have a look at him. The likelihood of the manager going, bring him up and let's see, is quite low. Yeah. Now, nowadays, it's changed completely. It's it's obviously a lot more professional. But, you know, the teams in the lower divisions at that time, of which Argyle would have been one, um, mm. you know, it's, it's, you know, if you could get somebody for nothing, that was a good way of doing it. You know, it's not, you know, yes, there would have been scouts, you know, from Plymouth, from Bristol, probably, you know, looking at the Southwestern League, the Western League, you know, they would have been looking for, for talent, but, you know, not necessarily, you know, if, if they don't come to one of your games or you don't have a particularly good game, but the, the game they come to, you know, that's all, all it can take to be missed. And, you know, I was, I think I was pretty lucky in, in or extremely lucky in respect of, of getting picked up the way I did, um, it did leave me in a bit of a quandary because we, I, uh, my, my now wife Amanda, we we uh, arranged to get married on the twenty second of August in nineteen eighty seven. This trial happened on something like the twenty seventh, twenty eighth of July, and um, in the end, my wife had three weeks to change the wedding um, oh, because crap. on the twenty second of um, August, um, Bristol Rovers were away at Sunderland. So, um, yeah, so we, we, we had a kind of a mad week. Um, 10th of August, um, Amanda turned 18. 11th of August, I turned 21. The 15th of August, uh, sorry, the 15th of August, I made my Football League debut for Bristol Rovers against Rotherham. And the 17th of August on the Monday, we got married back in Cornwall. And then drove straight up because I had training the next day. So it was a bizarre week. Um, what a in, week, in your yeah. Life. Uh, and um, Amanda, bless us, in three weeks, yes, yeah, you managed to get the, um, the 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 wedding move, time move. People had to take time off work to come to the wedding. Um, it was it was all a bit sort of panicky and last minute, but um, you know we got it done because I was then from that time I was I was training and and. Luckily for me, you sort of got straight into the first team. So it was um, it was a, a crazy time. 
what a week of like like if you if you were to like you know the advert of Carlsberg's did 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 weeks Carlsberg yeah that would be it wouldn't it you know your, your partner this. turning eighteen you turning twenty one getting married make your football league debut bam jeez all all in a week yeah it's it's a few it's a few of your milestones but you all in all in one week it was I mean it was so exciting the thing was we were so young um, yeah. and just 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 did what was in front of us and not really, you know, it's only later when you sit down and go, that was a bit of a week, you know, when you're living it at the time, you just, you know, nothing phases you. I think when you're, when you're that young. The Argyle podcast. I'm going to jump forward a few years. So um, we've gone from the magical week and you're making your football league debut against Sunder, uh, Sunderland to um, 1989. And that, lad who was spotted by the tea lady at Bristol Rovers then becomes the first million pound goalkeeper. Yeah. I, I mean, I, crazy. Eh? Yeah, it is. I mean, it, you know, you can say 1987, you know, I would, would have been watching match of the day, the same as a lot of people on a Saturday, um, looking up to the sort of, sort of gods almost, you know, that were playing what it was first division football then. Um, and to two years later being you know suddenly having the chance to then go and do that i think i think i've got to credit jerry francis a lot with that because he was very clever in respect of i think he recognized that i had you know quite a good talent and he he very quickly put a million pound tag on my head um as much as to protect you know the club that i was playing for but also he knew um, Dave Sexton, who was the under-21 manager, and I started playing under-21s and um, mm. seemed to do well in that and enjoy that sort of environment. So it was a bit strange as a third division player playing with the likes of Gaza and people like that in the under-21s who were sort of already established um, division one players. Um, but it was it was a good taster. And I think that is what sort of, Jerry, you know, pushing that he's not going for anything under a million pounds right from the off, um, you know, did did push that boundary. But, you know, as football got sort of more and more money, then, you know, clubs could suddenly afford to pay it. And it's it's always been, a, you know, a, a strange one for me why goalkeepers don't go for the same sort of prices as the rest. You know, it's it's a it's a really important position if you're going to win trophies and championships you need to have you know a good solid goalkeeper mm. I, I i yeah i totally agree with you on that and i suppose you have seen a, a wee change recently with the likes of you know if you think of allison going to liverpool for 70 something million and edison similarly man united just spent big money on a keeper but it but you can count them on your hand compared to like a center forward you know that goes to a bottom of the premier league table team and they're costing 50 million now it yeah, is. you're right. It's a crucial position. It is. It it, it is. Um, I'm I'm glad that it, it it's starting to get the sort of um, I don't know the the I don't know what the word is, <laughs> but it, the recognition. Yes, recognition of, of the value, of the importance of the of that position. It, yeah. You know, it it is. You know, if you if you speak to any of the great managers, they'll they'll say you know part of what it was based on was we had a great goalkeeper you know and that's that's you know what happens with all all teams that win the leagues isn't it crazy that right at the start we said the southwest is not maybe the 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 biggest hotbed for football but the first million pound player was from plymouth i know yeah and trevor francis and the first million pound goalkeeper was from cornwall well it goes to show they should be looking down there more Um, on your time at Palace, obviously it's um, it was a step up, and you know, with all due respect to Bristol Rovers, but it was you know you've you've, you've got that price tag on you, and you're, you're now playing with the likes of Ian Wright and Mark Bright and Steve Coppel's a manager, um, and and a year or so in, and you're in an FA Cup final, um, an FA Cup final that's spoken about a lot as well. That one, what what, yeah. what was that whole experience like? It was it was a little bit surreal because, like you say, the 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 FA Cup of um, of nineteen eighty seven I'll have watched at home, um, and then three years later I'm playing in it, and it's that's a little bit crazy. Um, but we we had a fairly kind run 
up until the semi-final. Um, and then we were playing against a great Liverpool team in the semi-final. And, you know, that was an absolute epic game um, to win 4-3 against them at Villa Park was was an incredible achievement. Um, and then to, you know, to go to Wembley and play Man United, who, you know, weren't, weren't, the, weren't as good as they, you know, have been subsequently. Um, in fact, had we have won that game, <laughs> probably Alex Ferguson would have got the sack. So uh, mm. I think we got within about seven or eight minutes of, of winning that game in extra time. Um, but Mark Hughes managed to, to, to get an equaliser. We drew three all on the, on the day. Um, and then the, the, the replay on the, the following Wednesday was, was a real damp squib. Um, compared to all the build-up and the sort of razzmatazz of everything on the on the Saturday, it was you know it was so so big. Um, the follow-up was just I, I think everything was flat. The supporters were, were were flat. The team was flat. I think Man United were flat, and they you know they um, it was Lee Martin. It's probably apt that a left back goes and sticks one up in the top <laughs> corner you know that's that was the only goal of the game and uh, you know unfortunately we, we we came out the wrong side of that one yeah replays in a final do seem like a real strange thing now um because yeah. like you say you've you've got to the final you've got the whole build up and the FA cup was that wasn't it it was you know you've got your suits fans are making the journeys from every corner of the the country in your palace's case obviously wasn't too far but you know there's the cameras following you from the hotel there's the walk up Wembley way it's, it's everything isn't it and then yeah, the, I mean, you have palace, to do it again three days later but not in yeah. the same way palace had you know played in in red and blue there were red and blue balloons everywhere you know one half of well one half of, of Wembley was just full of red and uh, red and blue balloons and the whole thing and then the replay we played in yellow and black stripes which i think was something to do with Jeff Thomas's old school team or something that he decided, um, which was completely bizarre. You know, it's not really colours associated with Crystal Palace. It was a, a very strange kit. So even the, even the kit in the replay was strange. Um, we had a big reception on the Saturday night after the game. Um, and it was, there was an empty feeling whether, you know, it, I, I, I feel it should be finished on the day be it penalties mm. or whatever and win or lose you know then you've got the the end of that thing but for it, to, it sort of kind of just rumbled on a bit and it just didn't seem quite the same as a keeper as well you'd have fancied penalties wouldn't you yeah well it, it, you've obviously got a chance to be the hero yeah um yeah I, yeah of course you know it's it's a hiding to nothing as the goalie you know more there's more pressure on the the outfielders and you know it gives you a chance i suppose to be highlighted but um I wasn't necessarily one of the players that necessarily needed to be in the limelight. I was happy for others to, to go and grab that and just get on with my job mm. um, a little bit behind the scenes if I could get away with it. Just another quick one on this on this game, because obviously a lot is, I said it's spoken about a lot, and I suppose the 3-3 being one of the cases of that. But the other one is the, the whole Ian Wright story as well, isn't it? And him being so disappointed that he didn't play in the game and then coming on and scoring two goals and thinking he was going to be the match winner with that second one. Um, what, yeah, he, what, what was he like to be around at that stage, obviously? Because he was he was just flying, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, he, he'd actually broken his leg um, mm. a little bit earlier in the season and was, he was, I, I, I can remember him on, he was on a, um, a bike, uh, a sort of static bike machine, and he was just absolutely dripping in sweat and just sprinting on this bike and uh, he said I've got to be fit for the final I've got to be fit for the final he was just doing everything he could but obviously um, you know Steve Koppel thought he's not ready for 90 minutes he probably hadn't played for five you know five or six weeks um, you know I'm just going to keep him on the bench um, which he did and but then he came on and he he sort of uh, Gary Pallister, I, I, I had an England squad with Gary Pallister afterwards and he said he was so happy that um, Steve Koppel had put Ian Wright on the bench for the second game as well. He said because he came on in in, in that period, just turned everything. I think we were losing 2-1 at the time, mm. brought him on, um, 
he twisted Gary Pallister into all sorts of shapes, um, put him on his backside and slipped it, slipped it beyond Jim Late and drew, drew us level and then put us ahead from a John Slurker cross. And, you know, that was the impact he could have. He was an incredible finisher, um, probably the best finisher um, that I played with or against. He was, um, he knew where the back of the net was for sure. Um, you know, didn't have he, he? He could pass the ball into the where you know just out of your reach all the time. He was he was a you know really good finisher. Was Ian um, top player? Um, and we finished. I think the season after that, we actually finished third in the old first division. But there was no European football mm. because the bigger club comes in and you start losing your better players, and that's what happened to that Palace team, really. Yeah, and and happened to you, Nigel, with um, with one of the biggest historical clubs coming in for you in Leeds yeah I mean I was I was supposed to sign for Everton actually um, <laughs> we were driving up the motorway to Everton to sign for them um, and as we were driving up my agent rang me and said uh, Leeds have matched the bid I think we should go and talk to them also so the chairman was away in London on business so it was left to a director to sort of get the signature over the line if you like but when we arrived and my agent said, look, Leeds have matched the bid and um, Nigel's going to go and talk to them, it, they were really flustered. So he actually said, well, if you want to get to Leeds, you want to get a move on because the traffic's going to build. And he actually gave us directions through the Mersey Tunnel and back out to pick up the M62 to Leeds. Um, and when I got over to Leeds, there was no way that, that they were going to let me go back to, to talk to Everton again. So, um, you know, they, they made it really really difficult for me not to go and I you know I ended up signing here um and you know I had, I had sort of seven well six really good years at Leeds and one not so good year um but you know good times you know European football mm. um playing at the, the the top part of the Premier League was, was something I enjoyed yeah and and also uh, am I right in saying that when you signed for Leeds um it was just when they were beginning to like build that young um, squad that had like, you know, when Lee Bowyer came in, um, they had obviously the likes of Harry Kuehl and Danny Mills and stuff came slightly later on, but it was, it was sort of kind of the beginning of that little yeah, fighting time, I suppose. Yeah. Well, it's how, Howard Wilkinson signed me. He signed Lee Bowyer, Ian Rush and Lee Sharp. So there oh, were right, four okay. signings and probably Ian Rush and Lee Sharp got yeah. most of the headlines, which was absolutely yeah. fine. Um, but probably myself and Lee Bowyer probably had the better sort of careers at Leeds. But um, yeah, it, it was the first time that they'd looked to spend a little bit of money on players to try and improve. Because I think the back half of that, the previous season, they'd fallen down the league at the end. And I think Howard realised that he needed to freshen things up at that time. So um, so he signed me, but probably after three or four games, he got the sack and George Graham came in. And I think I think a lot of Leeds' success and improvement is down to George and the way he organised us, first defensively. Um, mm. I mean, he's, for, for a goalkeeper, it's a dream because, you know, it, it's... Uh, we, I, I can remember playing one game where we had a back four and two centre-halves played in centre midfield. Ian Rush was wide right. He wasn't even playing as a striker. He had Rodney Wallace up front, uh, Lee Sharp on the left and, you know, filled the midfield and just made us so difficult to break down. I think we had, I think, 23 clean sheets that season. Um, and I think we were the team that stayed up the highest, having scored the fewest goals. We were just horrible to watch but defensively very, very strong. And I think from that base, George then started to bring in players like Jimmy Hasselbank. Harry Kuehl sort of was he was probably just turning 18, 19 and just, um, you know, being the right age to, to get some game time as well. Um, so George put all the building blocks in place and, we you know, we qualified for Europe um, a couple of times with George. And... You know, that I, it, it, it was all put in place by him. And then David O'Leary took it over. And David then brought like the likes of Jonathan Woodgate and, you know, people like that, Steve McPhail, into the team as well. And, and the team just grew. Um, and the 
you know, the club was spending a lot of money on players and, you know, get qualification for the Champions League. And unbeknown to us, you know, they were they were gambling mm. financially on Champions League football. And the following year, we, we only finished fifth, I think, and um, were in the UEFA Cup. And, you know, it wasn't the same. And that's when suddenly players were going here, there and everywhere. And, you know, the club was in real dire financial problems. And you say, and yeah, and it, and obviously, it's it's only just taken the last couple of years really for Leeds to have recovered yeah. properly from that and getting back to the Premier League under Bielsa, etc. But as players, it, it, as you said, it was unbeknown to you. So, like when you're playing in that team and you're seeing, you know, Robbie Keane come in and um, Mark Viduca and Rio Ferdinand be signed for record amounts of money. That must be exciting for you guys as players, though, and you must be thinking, "Well, this is absolutely brilliant! What a team we're playing in!" Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, Mark Viduka was a great striker. You know, back to goal is probably the best um, centre forward that I've, I've played with. You know, he could hold the ball up so well, shield it, look after it, um, and, and was capable of scoring great goals as well himself. Um, yeah, you know, Rio came in, Robbie came in, Robbie Fowler came in, you know, um, Seth Johnson came in. But the thing was, these these guys were all coming in on much bigger money than the players mm. that were already there were on. Um, and obviously, you had to wait your time for your contract to come up. Unfortunately for me, mine, mine, mine came up after all the, uh, all the money had gone, I think. But um, they... Um, yeah, you know, it improved it improved the team so much, and and you know, you're playing Champions League football, and you're going to Barcelona, you're going to AC Milan, you're going to Real Madrid, you know, you're going to all these giants of European football, and you you absolutely love that, and and you know, that was an exciting time, um, and probably the best sort of um, domestic team that I played in was that 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 lead side of that of that time, you know, because we were. You know, we were doing well, get to the semi-final of the Champions League. We were we were leading the Premier League up until probably the new year that season. Um, and then, you know, we just, uh, we kind of really struggled at the back end of that season. So, um, uh, you could the signs were there. I mean, the following season, you had the, the Bowyer and Woodgate um, mm. thing that happened. And, and when you have these external problems, in, in your club for some reason it seems to affect results you know as players well personally I'm not going out on that pitch thinking anything about that other than doing my best and trying to play my best and do my job um, but for some reason results seem to be affected by um, external um, bad publicity and and it, it it sort of helped propel us downwards um just for, for happier climbs at Leeds um I want to I want to ask you about um, a specific game, and I'm, you probably get asked about it all the time. But um, there, are that you know, the the Roma game in the UEFA Cup is is seen as one of a, like a Nigel Martin masterclass. <laughs> um, How many times do you watch that back a day? Uh, no, <laughs> I I don't have the video. Somebody, somebody, oh, no um, somebody shared some footage with with me um on facebook um probably last year and that's the first time i think i've seen it um i can we we played them the season before actually in the uefa cup and um we lost over there one nil and drew nil nil at home and then the following year to play them again you know was seen as right you know an opportunity to see how far we've come um but you know they had a you know they had a great side you know totti playing up front del vecchio they were you know coming forward they had some great players so you know to play in that game yeah it's probably it's probably one of my better games um just purely because i had so much to do um mm. and yeah goalkeeping's about situations that happen so there were a lot of situations where I had to make saves that I was pretty, you know, it's probably 50, 50 and, and I managed to save all those or they were more in my favor. So, you know, on another day, the ball can break to somebody three yards out and he's going to score. There's nothing you can do about it. So the situations in that game were always in my favor. The shots were always where I could, could reach them. There were just a lot of them. Um, 
and you know we drew nil nil there and I think we won with a Lucas Radaby overhead kick for so it's just centre half <laughs> scoring a, an overhead kick to win the game one nil was um, was great and it just showed that how how much better we got in those twelve months you know to beat one of the top sides in Europe at the time. The Argyle Podcast with Charlie Price. The fact that. Leeds voted you as one of you know were you in like team of the century or something there and um read somewhere where David Moy said you were one of the best signings he's ever made um all of these sort of things and yet you never you know you were you were mainly a number two I suppose for England um and it's it is amazing looking at that period because obviously there was yourself who was top of your form David Seaman who was England's number one for most of that time and a great keeper, Tim Flowers, who'd won a Premier League and was seen as like this really great keeper. And then, you know, Richard Wright was coming through that. It, it was a period when there were quite a lot of unbelievable keepers. What what was it like for you, obviously, playing so well, being one of the top keepers in the Premier League, but but maybe never being able to completely hold down yeah, it, a spot it, for your country? Yeah, it's it, frustrating a little bit. Um I, I got voted into the PFA team of the year three years running in the Premier League, but I couldn't I couldn't move. I just couldn't seem to be able to dislodge Dave. And to be honest, he did so well. And that's mm. why, you know, it's there's almost nothing I could do if he's playing well. I could have, you know, 10 out of 10 every single week. You just wouldn't be playing because the manager's going to stick with somebody who's doing the job. And, you know, Dave was, was he was a great keeper. You know, I... I look at the England keepers going back sort of my sort of lifetime probably and just a little bit beyond. But you you say about the greats that we've had. So you put Banks in that, you put Shilton in that and you'd put probably David Seaman in that. You know, we've had lots of good goalkeepers along the way, um, you know, with with that. But the, the sort of three, and I suppose Ray Clement's in there as well, the probably three or four greats that we've had. Um, if you happen to be you know, a, a decent goalkeeper when one of those is in place. It's um, slightly frustrating. So um, I, I sort of thought I did okay when I, you know, I played the games that I played, but they were so few and far between. And you're always, as the number two, you're always coming in with a bit more pressure and a bit more spotlight on you. Um, it's kind of, if you're the number one, you, you're, you're relaxed a bit more and not feel you have to prove yourself. You know, it's just about you know, just doing your job each time. Whereas if you come in as a number two and you might only play the one half of that game, if you have nothing to do, okay, you haven't done anything wrong, but you haven't you haven't shown necessarily what you can do. So yeah, it was it was a little bit frustrating, but you know, you have to take the chances when when they're there. And I'm I was lucky enough to play in that that two all draw against Greece when David Beckham sticks it in the top corner. Um I actually had a decent game that day as well, made quite a few saves, but um, that's not what's going to be remembered. It's always going to be David Beckham sticking in the top corner. So, you know, that was qualified for the World Cup. So that was, you know, there were some nice, nice spots with England as well. And and that's always, a you know, it's always a great honour anyway. Um, you know, every time you get a chance to do that was was pretty amazing. So, Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about the, that game. So, um I, I don't really know how to start, but I suppose we'll we'll start with the with the free kick when you're stood, you know, the other end of the pitch. Is that what is it? The 90th minute, 90 plus minute. Yeah, um, knowing that we're probably going to be going into the playoffs for a World Cup and have have blown it against a side that maybe we would have expected to to beat. Did you um, did you have any inkling? Can you remember that moment? I I. I can remember because I actually had to kick the ball forward. And I think it was Teddy Sheringham who was fouled heading the ball. Um, so I'm quite pleased that I kicked it as far as I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when Teddy gets um, fouled, you know, it's within range. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we were losing. So we were going straight into the, into the, into the playoffs, which, you know, I think Germany were at home to Finland, I think it was. And we just had to equal their result. And, you know, unbeknown to us, we, you know, we just presumed Germany would win that game. And um, we thought, 
you know lose losing at that point then you know that's pretty bad um and then sort of david beckham goes and sticks in the top corner and it's two all and we're celebrating but in my mind we still needed another goal at that point you know i you know it was like well we're only drawing but that's probably not going to be good enough and it was um you know we kick off and i remember seeing steve mclaren on the touchline and he's going you know like literally hold it hold it hold it you know two all is going to be enough um and i think we played the next three or four minutes of um of added on time and i all, all i can remember was rio ferdinand kept passing the ball back to me with the striker bearing down on me and, and like you know and i was thinking why don't you clear it why have you got to pass it back to me and lose lose us another 20 yards and then for me to have a you know a first time kick um <laughs> with, with a striker bearing down on me which i have to avoid it's like you, you didn't sort of need that sort of pressure at that time yeah. I was thinking, just play in their half you know just go and play up there and just keep the ball up there but for some reason we'd, we'd pass it around and it would always end up coming back to me to kick it you know first time under pressure and it was um I've managed to do it okay, but um, you know, I guess that's that was my job. But um, yeah, you could do without that. At that <laughs> you time. absolutely could. It was it was a mad, it was just a mad two or three minutes. I I must have had three or four back passes in that time where I was like, you know, and their, and their striker, fair play to him, he was just going to charge me, you know, try and charge me down every time, but um, you know, managed to get it away, and and then you know the the celebrations of a two or draw at home against Greece. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. No, it's brilliant. Yeah, um, and then obviously you, you played at you played at tournaments. That that one in particular was one that had an unbelievable amount of promise, and then was ended by a Ronaldinho um, free kick goal. Yeah, um, yeah. That that kind of ended David Seaman's career, I suppose. In in yeah, in, I think I think he's, he, I think he was probably I I, well, I don't know. Some of you probably have to ask him, and I think he would probably say that he he would play on as long as he could. Mm. Um, but he, he actually, if you if, I don't know if you remember, it was just before half time. He claimed the ball, and as he was jumping high, he, somebody had like yeah. caught underneath his legs, and he'd come down a bit on his shoulder. So at half time. Um, in a World Cup quarter-final, um, Ray Clements is warming me up. Well, and David James, they're both warming me up because I'm potentially coming on the pitch. So, um, you know, there was a bit of a bit of panic in 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 Ray Clements was like, "Quickly, guys, get get your gloves on." You know, you're gonna. It was he was sort of a bit panicky. I was I was like, well, "Okay, you know, if I'm going to come on, I'm going to come on." It was it was strange. I was doing. Um, like I was having volleys and and doing sort of like a, a a very quick goalkeeping warm up, um, but the whole time having half an eye on the um, the the tunnel just in case you know it'd be Gary Lewin the um, the physio would have been the one who would have come out and sort of shout you know say you're coming on and I'd have had to have gone back in and got got my shirt on and things like that so mm. you know nearly to nearly come on that was that was you know exciting um but then for that goal to go in and everyone says to me oh well you would have saved that and whatever but but i kind of think of it if dave has been deceived by it you know potentially you know there there was there was something in the way that he's kicked it or it's moved that's that's deceived dave and and that can happen to anyone you know i'd like to think it wouldn't have happened to me but you, you you don't know and and that would have been a completely different reaction because you could imagine how everyone would have gone well dave would have saved it you know and we've got him in and now yeah. he's let that silly goal so yeah you know it would have nice to, to have had the opportunity to have played in that but um you know he he, he played and and i mean he was distraught afterwards you know it it, it probably didn't feel like it at times to people but you know that that squad cared about you know trying to win and and you know we all knew what it meant to everybody and you know that's what we were trying to do for for, for everyone back home but you know those freak moments happen and and that's it and you know before you know it you're out and it's a strange situation you're you're building and building and building and you're going back to your hotel and you don't you know you, you think it's just going to keep going on and then suddenly mm. 
you lose the game you go back to your hotel room it's like oh we're leaving tomorrow morning it's really strange you know how quickly it just gets the tap gets switched off yeah if England win that do they win that World Cup I think we've got a good chance yeah I think it would probably have been West Germany wouldn't it or Germany mm. um would probably be the next toughest team I think um, yeah Brazil it, played Turkey I think in the semis didn't they yeah um, so I mean Nothing's guaranteed, yeah. but the, the, there's certainly a chance to have got to a final, yeah. Um, um, let's just go right to the end of your career then and, and Everton. And you've already said that it was the closest you came to playing against Argyle was in that FA Cup game. But um, yeah. they, again, late in your career, but some maybe some of the, the, the best football you've played? I, I I think that at the age of well, I was just just before I turned forty is when I retired, and I think you've played that many games, you've seen that many situations. The game, Premier League football, for me at that time was easy, and I don't, right. and, I'm, and I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to show off or anything like that. I just to to play a Premier League game at that age was was. There was nothing. You know, it was nothing that I hadn't seen before, and I knew what position to be in. Um, you're very confident on how to organise your back four. You know exactly how to get people to do their jobs for you um, and for the team. So I was really good at organising. Um, positionally, I was pretty sound. You know everything. I mean, physically, that's the only thing that's slightly. You know, if you could, if you could put a forty-year-old brain onto a 21 year old's body you'll have an, the best goalie that ever lived uh, I'm sure but um, it was just I was just playing in a team that was David Moyes made it simple you, you, your jobs were simple mm. to do I mean I, I, I jokingly say well a goalkeeper's job is pretty simple it's to stop a, a ball crossing a line and that's pretty much what you got to do yes it's a little bit more complicated along the way but um you know, so we we had clean sheets against you know some of the top sides, you know, and finished we finished fourth in that league, you know, one year, and um, which is always great for an Everton team to finish above Liverpool, um, which we just a shame, I suppose, that Liverpool won the Champions League. That <laughs> exactly, year, that's but... where I was going <laughs> to yeah. go with it. Yeah, no, obviously, you know, we we celebrated. I think we had um, a few days of celebration before they went and won the uh, Champions League and uh, and spoiled it all for us. But um, yeah, no, I mean that was that was a big thing for 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 Everton to finish fourth in that you know the the, the season before, which was my first season that I went to Everton. Um, that that was a struggling side, and and we're near the bottom of the league um, when I joined in the September. So it was only three or four games in, and it was a fight. And in the end, the team I went to with Everton stayed up, and Leeds went down. And you know, I I, I wanted to have. I think first of all, I would have wanted to have tried to have had the opportunity to try and keep Leeds up, but mm. when. Um, the club makes it um, very obvious to you that you're no longer um, required and you get a chance to go somewhere else. You know, you do, it does give you, you know, that motivation, even at 37, as I was going to, to Everton to, to prove that I could still do it. And, and so for me, it gave me my dignity back in football because I'd had a season where I hadn't played and it was purely political and it was and it's it's horrible when you're at a club that are just basically saying we're not going to play you because the young lad we are going to play is worth two million quid and you're worth nothing now because of your age um so it was purely financial the reasons that they then started playing you know that i didn't play and that's that's frustrating and i didn't want my career to end like that so when i got a chance at everton i thought well i'm gonna i'm gonna try and grab this and I mean, I was lucky enough to get player of the year that year for Everton and we stayed up. And it was it was not that I was sort of happy that Leeds went down. I was just for me, I was proving myself that, you know, perhaps, I sh you know, Leeds, that's where I you know, should have been playing my football. But um, to get another chance at Everton, I was certainly going to do my best for them. And, you know, to, to stay up that year, finish fourth the next year and and, you know, go on from there you know, into my final year was, was, was a great way to end my career, really. Yeah. 
and 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 just on ending your career. It, I mean, you knew obviously it was it was how how was how was making the the actual final decision because I've spoken to a lot of footballers who obviously get injuries or um are just in the latter stages of the career and they they always say well there's a moment and you were fine with it but 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 kind of you must have known it was edging towards it yeah and then course. to just make it um well mine was made through injury so i played yeah. i i had unbeknown to me i had a stress fracture in my ankle um and I started getting pain uh, the beginning of November in, in my right ankle. So it was my kicking foot. So every time I was kicking the ball, I was getting pain. Um, I had an x-ray. I had uh, a minor operation, actually, to try and clear out the joint to see if they could do, you know, find anything. And I played right up until the end of January. So I probably played three months with a, with a stress fracture in my ankle, which is not a good thing to do. Um, and that's probably why it never healed or wouldn't heal because I obviously carried on playing whilst the crack was forming. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so it was, it my the decision was made for me. Um, David Moyes even w had offered me a contract before for another year. Um, and he was sort of, he was sort of saying, we'll honor that contract and, and, you know, you'll see, you know, try and come back and all that. But speaking to the surgeon, he said, look, this is never going to heal. You, you're just physically not going to be able to do it. So, you know, I had to turn around to Dave and say, look, I, I appreciate what you're trying to do for me, but I, you know, you know, I just can't do that. So you know, I had to kind of announce that that was it. And, uh, you know, it's it, it's better for something like that to happen at 39 rather than, uh, you know, at 19. So it, it, I, I pretty much got to terms with it. I don't think I ever wanted to stop playing you know, I, I would have found it really hard to have made that decision myself. Mm. Um, hence why I still play cricket to, you know, a pretty decent standard in Yorkshire now, you know, because I enjoy that competitiveness. I enjoy, you know, a Saturday where you're, you're getting yourself ready to, to play in a game. Um, you know, doesn't matter what it is, but, you know, you, you kind of need those things in your life sometimes. So, mm. Well, that, that brings us perfectly round to the final bit of this chat, which is which is obviously now and and it's almost full circle for you, having played you know junior cricket down in Cornwall as like your main sport, I suppose, and now now doing it now still keeping. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Every 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 goalkeeper that plays cricket ends up being a wicketkeeper as well. It's, Michael uh, Cooper, our keeper at the minute, he he's a big cricket player as well. Well, he was uh, good. Can't, yeah, can't yeah, do it anymore, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's good. It's good to see him back from a, a bad injury as well. So that's, I'm, I'm pleased for him because that's that was pretty. That was a pretty horrendous day, wasn't it? Cause you lose your centre half and your uh, captain, and then your your goalie in one game at Sheffield Wednesday, and it was, yeah. uh, you know, that was a horror horror sort of injury for him. But it's it's great seeing him back now playing again because. Injuries are the worst, and you know that's that's you don't wish that on anyone. Yeah, yeah, no, but cr cricket, I love it. Plymouth Argyle have taken the lead at Stamford Bridge. Can you believe this? You're listening to the Argyle Podcast, the official podcast of Plymouth Argyle Football Club. I was having a quick flick through your 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 uh, Twitter feed, so I apologise now for stalking. Um, <laughs> but but if if no one knew who you know, you were and didn't know you were a football player and looked through your kind of Twitter feed, they'd think, well, he's just a, a Cornish cricket fan because that seems to be the yeah, pasties, Cornish flags, uh, some Austell beer and cricket uh, are the main I, things that appear on there. Well, I, interestingly, over the last couple of years, I started, I've started playing cricket for Cornwall over 50s. Oh, so, right. the, so the captain of the Cornwall over 50s up until last year, the last time I played cricket with him was for Cornwall schools under 14s. Wow. So, oh no, under 15s. So we played together in Cornwall schools under 15s. He's now the captain of the over 50s. And I, the last two seasons, I've played for the over 50s. So I'm literally driving from North Yorkshire <laughs> down to Cornwall to play a game. So I, I, play, I play for Nairsborough up here in the York and District League. And I drive from from there on a Saturday 
straight down to Cornwall, see all my folks and everything, see mum and dad, see my, you know, my wife's family and and uh, and then on the Wednesday we play cricket against the county whoever. Um, if it's Devon away or Somerset away, it's a little bit closer for me. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so I've, I, I've you know I've played that. So you know you've got to you've got to enjoy um, a sport enough to to want to do a sort of seven hundred and fifty mile <laughs> round trip <laughs> to, yeah. to, to play. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, you know it's. I, I enjoy doing that, but it, it sort of keeps you keeps you fit and keeps you young. Purely for the love of it. Um, how how did your past season just go? Um, what well, with Cornwall? Well, uh, just in general with uh, with the with, Blades. With not great. The year before we got promoted, so we sort of got promoted. So we're now in the Championship. So there's a uh, a York and District Premier League, which is mm. pretty much the highest level. There's the York and District Premier League and the Bradford League are probably the two highest leagues in Yorkshire below county cricket. So we're the division below the Premier League. So I guess for us, if you call county cricket Premier League football, we're playing Division One sort of cricket. So it's 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 a decent standard. So this year um, we sort of finished mid-table. So it was our first year up. We uh, we lost a few players as well, which probably hurts you. So we'll come back strong again next year, hopefully. Uh, just finally, we are speaking um, a couple of days away from from Leeds against Plymouth Argyle. Um, two questions for you. Firstly, I want to ask you about the two goalkeepers because obviously two very exciting young keepers, one for each. Ilan Melier, obviously for for Leeds, who's been outstanding for the last few years and and Michael Cooper so how encouraged by performances of both of those are you firstly um yeah really I Melier has been you know he's been at Leeds for three or four years I I can remember he made a mistake and I think it was the season that Leeds got promoted the first time back into the Premier League and he he made a mistake he came and dropped across and somebody tagged me in something on Twitter and I just put for I said I remember putting something for for context he is now the same age as I was when I was winning the Cornwall Senior Cup with some blazing <laughs> and he's dropping the ball for Leeds United in a game. So on his football development yeah. he's you know he's probably five years or at least five years ahead of where I was at the same age. So yes, okay, it's not ideal that he's made a mistake, but please don't you know mm. blame blame him for that because young goalies make mistakes and that's how how we all learn. Um, he's he's improved immensely. He got a lot of stick at the back end of last year um, when they got relegated, and the, and I think to be honest. He probably could have done with just being brought out the team a little bit earlier than he was because he was he was under so much fire, um, and it, it affected him. But fair play to him; he's bounced back this year, and you know he's been very very solid for Leeds um, again this year. So that that's great. Um, Mike would have come on my radar just purely by following Argyle's um, results and, you know, the Twitter feeds and things like that um, every sort of Saturday or Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever night it is, you know, you're going oh, to play tonight, you know, I need to, I need to check up and see how they do. And just, you know, word of mouth and, you know, seeing the odd save or two, you know, Sky will put it up sometimes, you know, that's the, the best way I can get to seeing it. So, you know, and I, and I kind of, I have that sort of affiliation because it's like it's the, the team that I supported as a kid and whatever, and 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 he's in my position, so I kind of mm. like you know affiliated to that. So I I, I guess I keep a you know a, a closer eye on that be, purely because of that reason. Um, and I know I think Reese Wilmot was the goalie coach for a while, and Reese and I were teammates at Crystal Palace for a while. So I know Reese really well and know what a good lad he is. So I know Mike would have been gotten getting good stuff there. And um, Shuey, Stephen Schumacher was uh, a young lad at Everton when I was there. So, um, you know, I know him. So I know he'll be um, he'll be sort of looking after him. But, you know, the you know, the, the chat was how basically how long Argyle could actually hang on to him because he's, 
you know he's 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 destined probably for for well hopefully it's with with Argar, but you know it's one of those things it's it's really tough because when a player is doing really really well other teams will you know come in and you know eventually that becomes a figure that you know means that the player can't stay there anymore and you know as sad as that is um you know for the player it's it's progression and and things like that but i i suppose this season he has to prove to himself mm-hmm. first of all and to everyone that he's he's fit and um you know he's back to being as good as he is because it was a nasty injury and you know the early signs are very promising you know he's he's looking like he's uh, he's back and doing well the second question Nigel, was um who who are you supporting on saturday i know this is a, this is a <laughs> I, get, I i get this all the time because because i get like um like Playing for Leeds, Palace, Bristol Rovers, Everton. I get a lot of fans say if Everton play Leeds or uh, yeah. Everton plays Palace or whatever, who are you supporting? Who are you supporting? And and I love all the teams that I played for. Um, I did, you know, I I really do have an affiliation with all the supporters. You know, I got on really well with all the supporters of all the clubs, and I and I'm lucky enough not to have. You know, lots of players move to another club and then you know they get booed and you know mm. they get harassed or whatever i i've always had good receptions when i've come back to my old clubs because you know i think they they genuinely see somebody who tries and wants to do the best for the team and and gives their all and 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 when i moved club it was never sort of on my sort of pushing it was always because the club wanted to, to move me on so um you know i've get on really well with them but like i say to every 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 well you know, you support Leeds. That's your team. You know, as, as a kid and growing up, I always supported Plymouth. So, so that's my team. So, Plymouth is, you know, it's I'm I'm going to be edging towards an away win. You know, yes, we need the points. Um, you know, and, and Leeds can win the rest of the games and get promoted. That's great. I hope they do. Um, but I need Plymouth to win as many as as they can as well. So, you know, I'm, I'll, be what, support, I'll be supporting Green on. Uh, on that's Saturday. what we like to see. That's what we like to hear. Uh, well, Nigel, I, I really appreciate your time this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Um, and yeah, the next time there's a charity game at Home Park. Yeah, give me, shout, give me a shout. Yeah, I mean, we, we come home to Cornwall quite a lot. You know, I'd, uh, you know I'd, I'd love to go along and, um, you know, watch the goalies train or something like that, you know, um, just, just you know, just to, just to go along and just, have a chat with them if they wanted to you know i'm i'm always uh, open to doing things like that you know if uh if, if any ever anyone wants anything like that you know i'm happy to do that of course but yeah no i'll be uh i'll be watching it'll be good subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode this is the argyle podcast well thanks a lot for listening i hope you enjoyed it Massive thanks to Nigel Martin as well. Big Nige, as the Everton fans and Shuey, Neil Jusnip, Mark Hughes will call him. Uh, great to chat to him and to hear some brilliant memories of his time supporting Argyle too. Um, if you enjoyed that, uh, are new to the podcast or just haven't caught up with all of the ones that we have recorded and done so far, we have a full catalogue of them on our website, pafc.co.uk. Go back and check them out. Plenty on there for you to listen to and enjoy. And as always, if you have a suggestion for a guest, someone that we haven't spoken to yet, then let us know who you'd like to hear from. Email us at media at pafc.co.uk. The Argyle Podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode.